From WHYY and Billy Penn, it is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm John Stolnes from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolnes. Coming up, Phillies pitchers and catchers report on February 14th, Valentine's Day. And as we record this, we are 70 days away from the start of spring training. The first full squad workout is on February 19th. And so as we are getting ever closer to Clearwater, we're going to open up the Phillies mailbag for this edition of the podcast. No real news going on with the Phillies, as has been the course, uh, par for the course so far here in the early going. But uh, some some good questions from the Twitter mailbag. And so we're going to open that up and we'll dive into some Phillies issues with a with a good old fashioned uh reader-driven content show today. <laughs> you guys did the heavy lifting for me today, uh, so I want to thank you all for that, and so we'll get to those questions here in just a second. I did want to remind you all, first of all, about Hitting Season being nominated for Best Baseball Podcast of 2023. It's all part of the, part of the Sports Podcast Group's 2024 Sports Podcasts Awards, and you can vote for this podcast, Hitting Season, by going to sportspodcastgroup.com, and there you'll find a link to where you can cast your vote, and if you haven't done so already, please click on over there. Right now, you can hit pause on this podcast, go over there and take care of that, and then come on back or do it after the show. If you're able to vote for Hit and Season, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. We would love to knock off some of these other national shows, and then uh, some of these other teams have some have some uh, podcasts as well. And of course, our own Justin Clue, his podcast that he does with uh, Dr. Trevor Strunk, The Dirty Inning, also nominated this year. So you could choose any one of uh, those two podcasts. But um, for the purposes of hitting season, that's where you go to do that, sportspodcastgroup.com, and you'll see all the all the baseball podcasts. You can click on that and, uh, and, and vote for us there. So if you wouldn't mind, and if you've already done that, thank you so much for casting your vote for us. Um, I don't know if we have a chance of beating uh, the big network guys, the, the national guys, but uh, who knows? It would be it would be fun to surprise. And they offer silver and bronze for if you come in second and third place too. So even if we don't win, would be great to come in second or third, or at least be like the one uh, team-specific podcast uh, that ends up getting a medal here. So that's what we're hoping for. Voting runs through the end of the month, uh, so you can vote once for every email address that you use, uh, and then after that, if you wanted to vote again, you have to use a different email address. So if you want to create 10 different email addresses, go ahead. That's what I did. Just kidding. I didn't actually do that. But thank you for your vote and for considering Hit and Season uh, for Best Baseball Podcast of 2023. All right, let's jump into the mailbag here for for this edition of the podcast. And we'll start off with one, one of the great friends of the podcast. Uh, on Twitter, he goes by number one Jalen Hurts fan at Anthony6095728. John, are you surprised that the Phillies were not more active this offseason? They took a step back last year, and they will be going into this year with the same exact team. I'm so worried that they're going to take another step back this year. So let me address uh, the step back part of all of this. I would argue the Phillies were a better team last year, and I don't did they they did not get to the World Series. That much is true. But as we know, so much in baseball, the playoffs are random. Uh, teams can hit slumps at the worst time. It just so happened that the same exact slump that hit the Phillies starting in game four of the World Series started hitting them in game three of the NLCS. It happened earlier this year. But you could see things that the Diamondbacks were doing to change up the Phillies hitters approach and the Phillies not responding. And I don't think, I, I think the Phillies can figure that out a little bit, 
right? I, I think that I would hope that these veteran players can adjust a little bit. And it's not it's not just that either. The bullpen became pretty shaky in the last part of the playoffs. But overall, you look at the names on this bullpen, it's pretty good. So I, I'm not surprised that the Phillies have not been more active this offseason. They've, they've done so much of their heavy lifting already in previous offseasons with all of the contracts and all of the veterans that they have. And you're not going to do a whole facelift on this team. Nobody's taking Castellanos off your hands. So if you wanted to get that unpredictable bat out of the lineup, you're just not going to get that. Trey Turner, you expect to have a better season during the course of the whole year. Bryce Harper's season, barring injury, should be more productive during the course of the whole season. Uh, and we'll see what Kyle Schwarber and JT Realmuto bring to the table. Bryson Stott appears to be an ascending player. Uh, Alec Bohm, I think, is you've gotten what you're going to get. I would love an upgrade at third base. I like Alec Bohm, but um, but you can't have an all-star at every position. And I think one of the places that we're, we're mo lo most looking for improvement is in the outfield, right? There's two outfield spots that are accounted for, Brandon Marsh and Nick Castellanos, and then we're kind of in a waiting game to see whether or not Johan Rojas can take that job by storm, whether or not he can whether or not he can grab it by the shoulders and make it his own. I don't know yet. He's been doing some things in the offseason to, to make himself into a more well-rounded player, a better offensive player. The defense is already elite. In the short time he was in the majors last year, he was worth two wins above replacement, mostly through defense alone. So he has so much value there that if he can just be an average offensive player, he's a starting center fielder for a World Series contender. And I do think they are going to make some moves. It's not just the Phillies that have been inactive this offseason. The entire market has been inactive. Blake Snell is still not signed. Jordan Montgomery is still not signed. Cody Bellinger is still not signed. Jorge Soler. There are so many of the top-tier free agents that the Phillies really have not a lot of interest in because there's nowhere to play them that it's slowing down the market for the mid-tier and, and, and under guys. And I think the Phillies, really what they're looking for is an improvement over Jake Cave. Well, there's no rush for that right now. Like, which, there's no left-handed bat out there that's going to play in strictly a reserve role that's going to sign with you just yet. If Jock Peterson were to come to this team right now and he's willing to be a, in the Jake Cave role, then I would do that. But I think Jock Peterson probably thinks he can start someplace, and I think he's probably right about that. But teams are kind of in a waiting game until they see where Cody Bellinger lands and how much he signs for. There are other guys like that. Whit Merrifield is another one. We've talked about him on the podcast. Now, he's, uh, I think, a right-handed hitter, so that might not be the Jake Cave replacement that you're looking for. But you don't want to go out and just and sign um, a Mark, uh, you know, a, 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 an Adam Duvall or somebody like that, because that generally then means that Johan Rojas is not going to play very much for you this year. And I think the Phillies realize they need to get younger in some spots. They need to get more defensive-oriented in some spots. And Johan Rojas, if he can show you in the spring that he can hit a little bit, then he's going to be your starting center fielder. And you're, they're going to have Brandon Marsh in left field, and that's going to be a pretty productive outfield right there, especially defensively on the left side of the outfield. And you're going to make up in run prevention what you lose maybe in run production in some ways. So I'm worried that they are not going to get as far in the playoffs as they did last year, but a lot of that is not something that can be helped. I mean, ask yourself, seriously, going out and getting Adam Duvall right now and going out and getting Hector Neris right now, you make those deals right now, are they substantially better than what they were a year ago? The answer is no. They're basically, they're essentially the same team. They're not all that different. 
And so the urgency, let Dave, I mean, it's annoying. I want to, I want the Phillies to do something just for the sake of listener interest in this podcast alone. You know, it'd be fun to come on and, and talk about a new acquisition, but they've already got most of the bullpen accounted for. They've got almost all of the position positions accounted for. They need some starting pitching depth. They need a number six guy. But again, you kind of need to wait until these other starting pitchers drop off the market before the, the under-tier starting pitchers know what's going to be available for them. So the Phillies may end up getting some players that maybe we weren't expecting them to get at better deals because they're still hanging out and waiting and sometimes these players can start to panic. They want to know where which they want to know which spring training facility they're going to report to. And they don't want to wait around until late February, early March to do it. So I think patience is the name of the game. I am anxious for the Phillies to do something because I know that they need to add some pieces, but here's the good news. They know they need to add some pieces, but and I would be fine if they went and signed Cody Bellinger and put him in left field for the next six, seven years. But you, you, I, I think that they're trying to be smart about some long-term, having too many players locked into long-term commitments. And if you have a young, I mean, elite defensive center fielder, and you think that he can give you something offensively, I think it's worth waiting to see what happens there. And if for some reason they give Johan Rojas the starting job and he can't hit, like his OPS is like, you know, 600, 650, then you, then you get somebody at the trade deadline. You get somebody in the middle of the season. Johan, if, if all of the other pieces on the Phillies perform as expected and you're not getting enough from Johan Rojas, you're still going to be in the playoff hunt. You're still going to be in the hunt for the division title. And then you can see where you are during the course of the season. So don't panic. It's, I'm, I'm not, I'm a little surprised that the Phillies have not been more active, but I'm surprised that all of major league baseball hasn't been more active so far this off season. And as far as taking another step back, they could go out and get Cody Bellinger and they could go out and get Josh Hader. I know John Heyman trying to again, connect the Phillies to Josh Hader. Scott Boris really wants that to happen. Doesn't he? You could go out and get those two guys. And you still might take a step back in the playoffs. You may not get out of the divisional rounds. Say you play the Braves again a third time in the divisional round. Well, this time they may get your number, despite you having a better team than you had last year. It's just the way the playoffs are. You just you have to make the best baseball decisions now. You can't you you can't be concerned about you know how far how how far you are going to go in the playoffs. Like you you advance in the playoffs with the top of your starting rotation, the back end of your bullpen, and an offense that can hit. And the Phillies have those things in place already. Maybe getting Josh Hader does make you more electric in in the playoffs in in terms of bullpen. Um, but you know there there are we've talked about different reasons why Hader doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the Phillies at this point. So um, any moves that they make right now, going out to make some moves, getting Adam Duvall, that's not going to that that doesn't move the needle at all in the playoffs. It's going to come down to Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola. Ranger Suarez, um, the, the 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 bullpen guys, Alvarado, Sir Anthony Dominguez bouncing back, um, uh, Gregory Soto figuring it out and becoming a little bit more consistent, and it's going to be up to those uh, seven, eight guys in the lineup to be more consistent. That's how you're going to advance in the playoffs. It's not going to be by, you know, some mid-tier free agent you sign right now. At Philly Kale says, I feel pretty optimistic about this year, despite the quiet offseason, aside from NOLA. I feel like with a he's saying aside from all that the offseason has been 
quiet aside from the signing of Aaron Nola, and yes, I agree. I feel like with a healthy Harper, comfortable Turner, and another year of experience for the daycare, this team is poised for a big run. Is this quietly actually one of the best teams in Major League Baseball? And the answer to that question is 100% absolutely yes. And Anthony, maybe this will help ease your concern a little bit. According to Fangraph's wins above replacement, right now, the Phillies roster, as currently constructed, is the sixth best in Major League Baseball. And it is the third best roster in the National League. The Braves, according to Fangrass, have the best roster now with a projected wins above replacement of 54.3. The Dodgers are next. Even after signing Yamamoto and Shohei Otani, they're next at 51.0. The Yankees are in third, surprisingly. The Astros in fourth. Blue Jays in fifth. With the Phillies in sixth. Followed by the Cardinals, Twins, Rays, Mariners, and yes, the Mets at 40.3, which is uh, kind of interesting there. So, um, you know, take that for what it's worth. It's a grain of salt kind of thing. But no other NL team other than the Dodgers and Braves are ahead of the Phillies right now. And other teams took a step back. I don't believe in that Mets number. The Mets are not going to be good this year. The Nationals are still rebuilding. The Marlins will be pesky. But they, they lost, it looks like they're going to lose Jorge Soler, although I, I think it is possible that he could return based on the fact he's still sitting out there. Maybe he will come back on a one-year deal for Miami. If he does, then the offense will at least have some punch in the middle of it. But that's that's an organization that's not serious about winning. That's that an organization that's not going to do anything substantial to make themselves better. So you don't really worry about the Marlins a whole lot. In the, in the National League West, you have the Dodgers, obviously, and the Diamondbacks have worked to make themselves a little bit better. But... You know, the Padres got rid of Juan Soto. Um, you've lost, uh, you know, the Giants are appearing. They've missed out on so many different, they got, you know, they've, they've missed out on a bunch of different people. Um, in the Central, the Reds will probably be better, but they're, they're not better than the Phillies right now. The Cubs may be a little bit better. They will probably, I think, I think um, they're going to get Reese Hoskins or Cody Bellinger, but they're not going to be on paper, better than the Phillies right off the bat. The Brewers don't have um, uh, don't have Brandon Woodruff all season long, and they could be trading Corbin Burns at some point. They are they've lost Craig Council, their manager, so they're going to take a step back this year. So the way the National League is falling, like, it really does look like there are kind of three powers: the Braves, the Dodgers, and the Phillies. I don't believe in the Cardinals either. You know, they've signed a bunch of kind of number three starters. I like Sonny Gray, good pitcher, but. They've signed a lot of, they've got a lot of older guys, again, guys who don't miss a lot of bats, and we've seen how that works for the Cardinals. Maybe they bounce back, you know, Arenado and Goldschmidt, that's a good core to build around, but a lot of the young guys that they've been trying to get going just haven't, haven't been able to, to be the types of players that they thought they were going to be. So at the end of the day, yes, the Phillies still have a terrific roster, the third best roster in the National League, one of the, a, a top six roster in Major League Baseball. So I know people are concerned about, you know, you're running it back with the same crew. Well, you knew when you signed Bryce Harper and Trey Turner and Kyle Schwarber and Castellanos, all these guys to these long-term contracts, you knew you were going to run it back. It shouldn't be a surprise that the Phillies are running it back. That's the whole point. That's the whole reason you signed these guys to long-term deals was to run it back. And if you didn't re-sign Aaron Nola to a contract extension, what are you doing there? Are you happy with Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery over him? Yamamoto wasn't coming here. Aaron Nola was clearly the best choice to re-sign, and seven years is certainly a little bit worrisome. There's going to be a Zach Wheeler extension at some point. We'll get to that question in just a, a minute, too. 
But there really was no choice but to run it back. That's that's the whole point of these contracts that Dave Dombrowski has been signing guys to. So you're going to make little additions here and there, tweaks around the edges. And really, that's some of those tweaks sometimes are how you win titles. Adding a Matt Stairs late in the season and a Joe Blanton is sometimes how you win a title. Something that we thought maybe that would be the case with Michael Lorenzen last year. Didn't turn out to work that way. You know, so you just... There's so much randomness when it comes to the baseball postseason. All you can do is give yourself the best shot during a 162-game season, and then you take your you, you take your cracks at it once October rolls around and hope your offense gets hot and your top starting pitchers do what the Phillies' top starting pitchers have done in just about every postseason start, some, some random ones aside. All right, this is a good baseball team. And yes, they're going to continue to make some improvements. Dave Dombrowski is not stupid. This isn't Matt Klintak. You can trust. I think you can and should trust Dave Dombrowski's plan for what this team has right now. And understand, he knows the market. He knows what's available. He knows what the prices are. And I think he's got a pretty good idea of what some of those players and prices will be with pitchers and catchers set to report about a month from now. All right, the next question comes from at SCK8182. Why should I be hyped about this upcoming Phillies season? The Phillies did nothing to improve because Phillies baseball is awesome at SCK8182. I mean, this is, this is, I know everybody was disappointed in the NLCS, and there is absolutely every reason to be disappointed in what happened against the Arizona Diamondbacks. There's no excuse for the Phillies losing that series. None whatsoever. It was a choke job by this team in games six and seven, and it belied the makeup and the previous history that we'd seen with a team that appeared to be on a glide path to demolishing their way to another World Series appearance and and most likely, in our minds, a World Series title finishing the job this time around. So I think you're burned out. I think everybody's a little burned out by having to go wade through another 162 games to get back to this playoff postseason schedule, this gauntlet, this this bear that the that the Phillies have to tackle once again, because that's that's the ultimate that's the ultimate goal now. World Series or bust. I mean, there's no yes, a, a baseball season is filled with moments. And you want to embrace those moments. It's not if if the only way you're going to be happy is if the Phillies have a parade down Broad Street at the end of it, you're going to be unhappy most of the time. So we've, we, I think you've got to find the joy in the journey every season. I mean, imagine Braves fans right now. All of the success they've had in the regular season, and then they come up against the Phillies brick wall the last two years. I mean, they've got to be more miserable than anybody. And they've made a ton of moves this offseason. And I think the only impactful one is Chris Sale. And we'll see how impactful that is. The Phillies didn't need to do that, really. And the Braves have a better team. The Braves still should be NL East favorites. They still should probably win the pennant. If, if everything went chalk, that's how it would work out. But you... You have to go into each season knowing that anything can happen. You could get career years from guys who were injured the last couple of years. The, the, I don't think the Braves' offense is going to be as dynamic as it was a year ago. I think that's asking a lot for every player in their lineup to have a career year for a second straight season. And then you get to the playoffs, and again, it's just about getting hot and trying to win as many games in that tournament before the cold streak comes. And again, there's there's only so much you can do during this offseason with the way this Phillies team is constructed. It's not like this was an 86-win team that overachieved in the playoffs. This this When everybody's healthy, 
and I don't think we're going to see a four-month slump from Trey Turner to start the season again. When everybody's healthy and playing well, it's a 95-win team. It really is. This is a 95-win team. There's not a whole lot to improve on. Again, so get hyped about the Phillies because the Eagles are over. The Sixers are inevitably going to let you down, and Phillies baseball is awesome. That's my suggestion. That's my recommendation. At Scooter McGill 1 asks, give me two bench bats you would love to see the Phillies go after to upgrade that spot from last year. Again, we're talking, I think, about a J-Cave replacement because I don't really think you're going to move on from Edmundo Sosa. He's not much of a hitter, and, you know, at shortstop, he's maybe a little bit of a liability there. If you wanted to upgrade and, and get somebody else, I could see it, but they've they've already got him in the fold. They know he can play some shortstop. He can play third base, and I think last year was just a down year for him. I think his bat will be better here in 2024, but if you're looking for a Jake Cave replacement, uh, David Peralt is a name who had a disappointing season for the Dodgers last year, just an 81 OPS plus. He only hit seven home runs. He was traditionally a 20 home run guy, had a 30 home run season with the Diamondbacks a couple of years ago. He had an elbow injury in the middle of the season that sapped some of his power, and I think his days as a starting player might be over. I don't think he's a guy that's going to get a starting job, and he's a guy who probably will not sign until late February, early March. Um, There are other guys out there like Tony Kemp, Uh, Former Philly Travis Jankowski, they could both be possibilities. They're more defense-first guys, uh, but they could potentially be a Jake Cave replacement, give you a little bit more with the bat. Travis Jankowski had a a nice little World Series for the Texas Rangers. I mean, you can can win with guys like Travis Jankowski. One name that I saw out there, and I couldn't believe some of the the rumors of his retirement this offseason, and he shot those down a little bit, Jackie Bradley Jr. is still a free agent. Now, he's not a starter anymore, probably. There might be a really bad team that's willing to give him a start most days, but I would, if he's interested in coming aboard as a bench player, he's got an elite glove. You certainly don't lose anything on the defensive side, and you know if you need a, a bat late in games, maybe Bradley is somebody who can give you a better at bat than than Jake Cave. Again, I wouldn't expect anyone like Peterson or Merrifield. They want to start somewhere. That's not going to be here. And I think you're sticking with Edmundo Sosa and Garrett Stubbs. If they do that, I can't really blame them. I think both those guys will be a little bit better in 2024. But they're not they're not getting a whole lot of games anyway. Um, and, uh, and, you know, there's going to be an, another question, and I'll get to it right now um, because it also uh, deals with the bat. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. And it had to do with... Um, uh, with uh, Weston Wilson. It's by Ed, from Ed underscore McLaughlin. How much of Weston Wilson do you think we'll see in 24? He's behind Rodolfo Castro and Edmundo Sosa on the depth charts, but he's got versatility and power. Uh, Wilson can't play shortstop, and that's why Edmundo Sosa and Rodolfo, Rodolfo Castro are ahead of him on the depth chart. Um, I hope we never see Castro again. <laughs> he is awful. Um, but, you know... With Christian Pache and Rojas emerging, I, I think Wilson probably is, again, just a guy who is here in case somebody gets injured and comes up for a week or something like that. I don't think he's, I don't think he's a, a, an every, you know, even maybe even a fifth outfielder type. He just, I don't think he's quite that good. Uh, we didn't get to see a lot of him at the big league level. I think what we saw was decent. And if I'm looking for a bat late in the game, I would rather have Weston Wilson at the plate than Edmundo Sosa, for sure. But it's about positional flexibility. I know, you know, they say Weston Wilson has some flexibility, but he can't play shortstop. 
And that's the big thing. That's what that's what Castro and Sosa give you is they give you a guy who can play shortstop. Now Bryson Stott can also play shortstop, and so if Trey Turner needs a day off, you could potentially move uh, Stott over to shortstop. But I don't think you want to do that. I think Scott plays an elite second base. I don't think you want to make yourself weaker at two positions just to get Weston Wilson in the lineup. You probably keep Stott at second base and play Castro or Sosa at shortstop. And maybe there's a better utility infielder out there, um, but they're, for the type of player the Phillies are going to need, I don't think it's going to be a whole lot better than Edmundo Sosa at this point. Like if Edmundo Sosa was on the free agent market, he'd be a guy the Phillies would probably target to fill a utility infielder spot. So I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of Weston Wilson here in 2024. I like him. Had a great moment with the Phillies this year, a, a, a memorable moment, but I don't, I don't really see him being an impact player or playing a whole lot at the big league level here in 2024. At Flips to Lemke asks, what kind of numbers would you be thinking for Zach Wheeler's extension? And what do you think we should expect as far as longevity? On the one hand, he reminds me of Halliday, who was cooked at 35. On the other hand, he only threw about half the innings in his 20s that Halliday did. And that's right. That's right. Because he had Tommy John surgery, Zach Wheeler's uh, innings didn't pile up when he was in his 20s. And he's still throwing as well as ever. And we've seen some pitchers last well into their 30s. Pitchers are weird. You don't know which ones are going to have staying power and which ones are going to crap out really fast. Roy Halladay had major back problems. And they, I think I remember him saying like in game five of 2011, that's when he felt it go. And he never got it back after that game. Um, Zach Wheeler has pitched in a lot of high leverage games over the course of these last few years. So there is some concern about longevity for a pitcher in his in his mid-30s. But if you're going to give it to a guy, you know, they, nobody had any trouble giving Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer money in their previous last contracts when they were in their early to mid-30s. And so Leo Morgenstern, who's a former Good Fight alum, uh, wrote up on his site Real Baseball, uh, had an idea for a contract that would be somewhere in between what Hugh Darvish's was and Jacob deGrom's recent contracts. He noted that the midpoint in their salaries was about $27.5 million, which seems, I think, I, I agree with, with Leo that it seems like a fair number for Wheeler. And given his age, I don't think the Phillies are going to go any more than five years with him. I know that would probably be a little bit longer than we would be comfortable with. I think we would all love a three-year deal. But Zach Wheeler, if he was on the open market right now, could absolutely get a five-year deal with someone. And so you're looking at uh, five years at $27.5 million a season from... 2025 to 29, which would be his uh, age 35 to 39 seasons, that's $137.5 million over five years. Um, if you got him on a three-year deal, you're probably looking at $33 million, maybe. Um, so or $30 million, certainly. Uh, but I mean, it's you, you'd certainly, I would say, probably go more towards $33 million a year if it's like a three-year deal. My guess is that Wheeler would err on the side of more years and more overall money. And the Phillies have to do it. The World Series window is open right now and next year and the year after that, potentially. Like, you're looking at 2024, 25, 26 with this core still in their primes. You need Zach Wheeler for this. You just you just do. And if something happens, something happens. You will not hear me criticize the Zach Wheeler contract if it goes south. Just like you didn't hear me criticize any contract they gave to Cliff Lee. Cliff Lee didn't really pitch at all in the last two years of his contract because he got heard and was just ineffective at that point. So, you know, there's um, 
there's some risk there, but you just, you, what you want is to get that production on the front side of it, and then you live with whatever you get on the back side of it. That's what happens when you're in a World Series window. All right, up next, Matt Roberts, PA, asks, what, if any, improvement can we expect from, from Rojas at the plate? Who are the potential way-too-early trade deadline target options? And was JT's down year at the plate a blip or the start of a downward trend? Let's knock out. Let's knock these things out uh, one by one here. Um, so let's talk about Rojas. Rojas can improve in his small ball. He's one of the fastest players on the team, and his bunting skills are abysmal. Here's a guy who needs to be sitting at the feet of Garrett Stubbs every day and learning the art of the bunt. He's just got to do it so that he can get on base and so that he can steal bases. And becoming more confident as a base stealer will make him a more dynamic threat at the bottom of the lineup. We saw with the with the Diamondbacks, once they started running in that series, any walk, any single, any bleeding eye hit through the middle became a double because they were able to run. They went Willie Mays Hayes on us. They really were able to turn every time they got on base into a stolen base situation because even as good as JT Realmuto is, it, 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 the, the new rules favor the base runners so much that it really has become so much easier to steal bags. And so I think if you've got Rojas as an improved base stealer and he improves his on-base ability, I know when he was called up, he did pretty good at getting on base and got a lot of batting average on balls in play, luck-aided hits in the month and a half, two months that he was on the Phillies. And with his speed, he's always going to have a high BABIP. That's just the way it's going to be with him. What you would like to see is him square some more balls up. Hit for He doesn't need to be a 20-homer guy. If he is, great. But he needs to be a guy who can hit the ball in the gaps and run. And he just, he just needs more solid contact. He needs to get the solid part of the bat on the baseball. He needs to be able to hit velocity better. And I think that was one of the things that they said about him as he was coming up, that he could hit velocity, but at the big leagues, he just he struggled with laying off high fastballs and being able to make contact on them. And then his confidence level was shot in the playoffs. Teams just figured out how to pitch to him, and he was done. So he just he needs to get a little stronger. He needs to become a better bunter, and when he gets on base, he needs to steal a little bit more so that he can use that speed to his advantage and turn some of those weekly hit grounders and bunts and balls that fall in so that he could turn those into extra bases. And that's where he's really going to shine as this team's number nine hitter, because that's where he's going to hit. He's going to hit number nine. Who are the potential way too early trade deadline target options? So I went ahead and I looked at some pending free agents, guys who would be rentals at the trade deadline. Uh, And in the bullpen, I think the Rockies will almost certainly make anyone in their bullpen available. Daniel Bard is a guy who has a lot of closing experience. He was terrible last year. But we all know with relief pitchers, sometimes they can be awful one year and be great the next year. So it would not at all surprise me if Daniel Bard comes back and pitches to an ERA under three. He's going to be 39, but he will undoubtedly be on on the trade market if the Rockies are not contending, which... They won't, and he bounces back and has a a good season. I think Kansas City's Will Smith, former Atlanta Brave, and any potential closer on a non-contending team, maybe this is the year the Pirates trade Bednar. Of all the pitchers on on the trade market who the Phillies could potentially go out and get, David Bednar would be absolutely number one on my list. Um, And I would put uh, Cleveland's Emmanuel Classe on that list as well. I'd trade for him immediately. But if either of those guys are made available, uh, those are probably 
my top targets. I'm, I'm looking for, I think you're going to need to get another bullpen piece, and it would be great if you could get a guy with closing experience who's comfortable in the eighth and ninth innings. And uh, I think all of those guys, the, the high-end guys are Bednar and Class A. I would say. And then some like setup potential guys. Again, if Bard bounces back, he'd be a guy I would be looking at. Smith, if he is 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 good for Kansas City this year. And Kansas City may surprise. They may be a little bit more competitive than we're thinking. Uh he could be he could be a guy to to go after. But essentially you're gonna be looking to scour any struggling team's bullpen and seeing which of their relievers are having the best seasons, and those are the guys you're going to target. In terms of outfielders, depending on how things go for the Giants, I don't expect them to be contenders this year. I think Michael Conforto is an interesting name that if if Rojas doesn't work out and you still are using Jake Cave on a regular basis, depending on Conforto season, that's a guy that I would consider. Uh, there's also Anthony Santander from, from Baltimore would be a more high-end addition. Again, this is if Rojas doesn't work out and they find that left field is still a real problem. Uh, Brandon Drury could be a potential Sosa replacement if that becomes a big problem. Uh, and uh, Mark Canna is a guy who killed the Phillies last year. He could be a power guy uh, who plays uh, who plays left field on occasion for the Phillies. Uh, and of course, if they need another big-time starting pitcher, Corbin Burns will certainly be on the trade market if he isn't dealt before the season. I doubt it's going to happen now. Shane Bieber is another name. Who would be on the? Who could likely be on the trade market if the Guardians are not competitive here this year? So those those are just some names that I think you're keeping an eye on right now, anyway. And the trade deadline targets evolve right as the season rolls along. As you see, who's there's going to be a surprise team we think is good, like the Cardinals last year, who turn out not to be good, and then they become sellers at the deadline. There's going to be some teams out there like that, and there's going to be some teams out there that we think are sellers. That'll end up being buyers. I would take. I would keep an eye on the Nationals roster and see who's playing well for the Nationals. My guess is they aren't going to contend this year, but they might have some guys who could help out in a bullpen or be a sixth starter, or it can be a left-handed bench bat or something like that. That's what Dombrowski's looking at right now. And and maybe there will still be some guys who pop up on a team's forty-man roster. Young, young talent at AAA who are blocked by people at the major league level who could uh, who could come in and and play a role here for the Phillies. Uh, and the last part of this question was JT's down year at the plate a blip or the start of a downward trend? You know, honestly, I think we're probably looking at the start of a downward trend. You're talking about a catcher who's caught a ton of innings, a ton of games behind the plate, plays all the time, and he's inevitably going to struggle. And if he's hitting six or seven in your lineup, you can deal with a JT Real Muto giving you the kind of offense that he gave you last year. It's when you're hitting him fifth that it's really a problem. Or you're hitting him second, it's really a problem. But I don't I don't think that's where he should be in the lineup anymore. He's still an above average offensive catcher. Uh, a pretty decently above average offensive catcher. His his defense, again, with the new rules, he's not giving you quite as much in terms of throwing out base runners, but I think the Phillies pitchers could do a little bit more to help him with that. And hopefully we will see Phillies pitchers, especially Aaron Nola, become a little bit more comfortable with the pitch clock. And now it sounds like they're going to shorten the pitch clock from 20 seconds to 18 seconds when there's a runner on base, which is going to freak Aranola out even more. But I hopefully he figured something out this year with the, with the pitch clock. But he's a guy who always liked to throw the ball over to first base a lot. Um, 
that's a rule that I would I would restrict a little bit more. I would I would allow pitchers to have three throwovers or four, four f- throwovers a game uh, an at bat just because I I know they want to speed the game up, but that, for some pitchers that is how they're able to kind of conduct themselves and control themselves a little bit. Maybe maybe four is too many, but two I think is too few. I think if you give him three, I think that's a good middle ground there, and that's what I would that's what I would do. But as far as JT goes, yeah, I think his down year is probably going to be what we see. I don't think it's his down year anymore. He's a catcher in his thirties, and he's he his offensive game is 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 gonna is gonna suffer a little bit. I think he might be a little better this year, and he might be, or he could be a little worse, and then a little better the following year. You know, it's I, I don't think I don't think it's a it's a straight path up or a straight path down for JT Real Muto. I think he's still probably a borderline all-star catcher, but I wouldn't expect him to be a silver slugger guy anymore. I just I don't see that and I don't think it's fair to expect that from him. Hit him lower in the lineup so that you're not dependent on him hitting home runs and getting big hits. You know? I I, I like JT. He is a frustrating player to watch when he's not hitting well. Because man, he hits he hits into more double plays. With runners, runners on first base, man, he is the worst. That's the last guy you want to have up with runners in scoring position, at least last year. And so much of his issues last year were with runners in scoring position. Those statistics are not sticky from one year to the next. Those numbers tend to change. A guy is, generally speaking, not abysmal with runners in scoring position every single year. It's a, it's a very weird, luck-based circumstance-based statistic. So I wouldn't, I would expect those numbers to improve. You even, you saw him do better with runners in scoring position at the very end of the season, um, even as he kind of, even some of that luck turned around. So um, I, I do think we're, I don't think JT is a silver slugger guy anymore, but I think he's still going to be an above average offensive catcher. But I think what we saw in 2023 is likely what we're probably going to see in 2024. And, and again, that's okay. At Kyle Coletti 50 asks, predictions on non-roster invitees for camp guys with the best chance to break out throughout the club. So we don't have any non-roster invitees as of yet, and trying to predict who amongst the hundreds of baseball players out there the Phillies will invite to spring training, I, I wouldn't even begin to tell you. But a lot of it is going to be their AAA guys, you know, the guys who are um, in AAA and AA. Um, guys with the best chance to break out throughout the club, ugh. They don't, as you've seen from a lot of these prospect lists that have come out, the Phillies do not have any position players near the big leagues that are ready to make an impact. I mean, Rojas, sure. Um, But, you know, Carlos De La Cruz, maybe? I think he's probably going to be their best offensive player for the the Iron Pigs. And, you know, he's a guy they left exposed to the Rule 5 draft this offseason, and nobody claimed him. So... You know, he's a very tall guy. Um, maybe maybe they can kind of see if he can play corner outfield, but he seems more of a first-base DH type guy. Uh, I don't know if his bat translates to the big leagues. Like, he's he's very tall. Um, he could get exposed by big league fastballs and, and breaking balls. I don't know if he's going to have any big league time at all this season. Um, you know, again, Weston Wilson probably is ahead of him in terms of guys you would consider calling up right now, but maybe not. Maybe maybe De La Cruz has a big season for, for the Iron Pigs and puts himself on the Phillies' radar. That's probably the guy who's closest to the major leagues that has the best chance. I mean, I think 
if you're talking about the a guy who could make a leap throughout the minor league system, you know, you look at Justin Crawford and you hope that his offense can can come around. He's he's very highly thought of amongst prospect circles. He didn't show much with the bat. I know there's uh, teams are very high on Aiden Miller, but again, very young. Um, there's nothing close to the major leagues where you're looking at a position player who could potentially break out. And you're hoping Mick Abel is a starting pitcher who breaks out, that he finally figures it out, and that he can provide the starting pitching depth that you need. I still think they're going to sign a veteran this offseason, somebody in the in the mold of Michael Lorenzen, and heck, it might even be Michael Lorenzen. I mean, why not at this point? Make him a bullpen guy, number two guy, you know, number six guy. But uh, I just don't, you know, there's not a whole lot of non-roster invitees that I think are going to get a crack at making this ball club. They seem to have most of those guys, uh, those guys all lined up. Um, all right. At liquid cloud nine Rojas starting in center this year, Orion Kirkering future closer. Um, we've talked about Rojas a lot. Yes. I do think he'll probably end up as the starting center fielder for the Phillies with Brandon Martian left. As far as Orion Kirkering future closer, maybe, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say he, he has great stuff. Uh, I will note that Matt Gelb reported on, I guess it was Wednesday, that the Phillies and Jordan Hicks had mutual interest, according to two major league sources, until the Giants offered Hicks an opportunity to become a starting pitcher. And he signed with the Giants last week for four years and $44 million. Obviously, the Phillies viewed him as a reliever, which I think is what most major league teams viewed him at. And that's kind of a, we're thinking about a Craig Kimball replacement. You're looking for a hard-throwing right-hander that can miss bats. Now, Hicks also has a trouble finding the plate, which is very Craig Kimbrell-like, and that would have probably made everybody nervous. Um, Gelb notes that the Phillies are not believed to be shopping at the top of the reliever market, but if Dombrowski sees something he likes, the Phillies could pounce. I say all that to say, Orion Kirkering is going to be a major part of this Phillies late-inning bullpen strategy. So yes, if he shows something here in 2024 that he has that he has the stuff and the mental makeup to be a late inning reliever for a pennant contending team. He could absolutely be an eventual closer. But again, you have to remember, as long as Rob Thompson is this team's manager, you're not going to have a traditional closer. You're going to have two or three guys who can close. That's how Rob Thompson likes to do it. I, and I think that's mostly fine. Would I rather have one really dominant guy who I know can get me those last three outs? Yes. But again, if you're facing two, three, four, five in the order, I want that guy pitching the eighth inning if that's where they're coming up rather than six, seven, eight, nine. If they just happen, if the lineup happens to be structured that way. So I think what you're thinking about for Ryan Kirkring is not really whether he can be a future closer. It's whether he can be a future late-inning reliable relief pitcher. And I think yes is the answer to that question. Um, the Phillies are just never going to be a guy with Rob Thompson here where somebody has 40 saves. I just, I just don't, I don't think that's going to happen. At JB Fez, one two one three asks, does a one-year deal with Cody Bellinger interest you? He could play center field and then go back on the market next year. He could play left field for the Phillies. Yes, a, a one-year deal with Cody Bellinger would absolutely interest me. It would absolutely, and it's not out of the realm of possibility. 
Although I do think he'll end up signing a multi-year deal with somebody. And I think it will be the Cubs. The Cubs just make all the sense in the world. Here's a team that's on the rise. They probably should have made the playoffs last year. Cody Bellinger played really well there. Why wouldn't you bring him back? I don't know what kind of number Cody Bellinger is looking for. I'm not paying him $200 million. I'm not signing him to a 10-year deal. We've got a, we've got, we've got a, you know, we have a couple of guys on decade deals that probably needs to be, I mean, unless you're signing like a 25-year-old Yamamoto, you're probably done with decade-long deals here. So yes, yeah, so a one or even a two-year deal with Cody Bellinger would interest me. A two-year deal with a player opt-out or something like that. That would interest me. I would be fine with that. And I could say, yo, Johan, spend the year in AAA, work on your craft, bro. And maybe you'd use Rojas as a trade target or a trade chip, or maybe you use Brandon Marsh as a trade chip during the course of the season, or you just let Rojas have another season of productivity while Bellinger plays in the majors. I don't know. If Cody Bellinger is sitting there and he's willing to take a one-year deal at like 20 million bucks, I would certainly consider it. I would absolutely consider that if I was Dave Dombrowski. Uh, last one at Nick M. Willard 84 asks, do you think they can move Taiwan Walker or do they even want to? I think not right now. Uh, they don't have anybody to replace Taiwan Walker. If they'd signed Yamamoto, yes, they would absolutely have looked to move Taiwan Walker and get his contract off the books or much of his contract or some of his contract off the books and open up a spot in the starting rotation. If he's terrible in 2024, then you might see the Phillies in the trade market. Go out and try and sign another starting pitcher to replace him. And then I don't really know what you do with Taiwan Walker because he won't have any trade value at that point. I don't see the mechanism for the Phillies moving on from Taiwan Walker. I hope you just have to hope he's better and more consistent in 2024 because you need a number four starter. Christopher Sanchez, I think, will be able to repeat some of his success this year. But I think guaranteeing Christopher Sanchez being the same type of pitcher in 2024 is a roll of the dice. I think Taiwan Walker is better than what he showed us in 2023. I think he, I hope he will be better. And if he's not, you're really, there's, you don't have a whole lot of options other than to release him and eat the money. And there's just there's three years left on his deal. I don't, I don't know how you can do that. So I think, I don't, I don't think they can move Taiwan Walker. Um, and right now they don't want to because they need him. They need his innings. One thing Taiwan Walker does give you is innings. During a long 162 game season, you do need, even, even if those innings aren't great, you do need somebody who can give you six innings every fifth time out there. And for better or worse, and it was about 50-50 with Walker in the regular season, he would give you six innings, seven innings. And he had a couple of stretches where he was pitching really well. And then he had a few stretches where he was pretty darn hittable. And the Phillies obviously didn't trust him in game four of the National League Championship Series to start him, which makes you wonder why he was on the playoff roster to begin with. Again, I think that was a Dombrowski issue um, messing up the NLCS roster. I think that really hurt the Phillies in a couple of different ways. Um, so, uh, yes, would they like to move on from Taiwan Walker? If you could have, if I think if Dave Dombrowski could do that contract over again, he probably wouldn't do it. But you've done it. It's a four-year deal. He's played one year. You've got three years left. Your Taiwan Walker is a Philly, and there's really not going to be any moving on from him. I don't think, unless the Phillies are willing to eat most of the salary 
and he pitches better than he did last year. And if he pitches better than he did last year, why would you want to move on from him? Right? So it's not just as simple as like find somebody to take on Taiwan Walker. They don't have anybody to take his place. Even if Mick Abel lights up AAA, you probably don't throw him into the mix as your number four starter and trade Taiwan Walker at that point. So, no, Taiwan Walker isn't going anywhere. I don't think they can move him. And right now, no, I don't think they want to move Taiwan Walker, even if maybe they wish they hadn't signed him to the free agent deal that they signed him to. All right, good mailbag, guys. Lots of good questions in there and some some unanswered questions here for the Phillies as we get ready to start uh, spring training, pitchers and catchers reporting in about a month. Um, and, uh, you know, things are going to pick up as that starts to happen. I really do think the hot stove is going to start to move here over the next few weeks. Players want to know where they're reporting. And so many guys, once these big name guys are off the market, then some of the other guys that the Phillies might be interested in, the sand starts to move under their feet and you start to get some wheels in motion. So the Phillies are not a complete team just yet. They have some pieces to add, but like we've been saying, all of the heavy lifting has been done in previous off seasons. This is a really good baseball team and we'll see what the the front office, Dave Dombrowski, Sam Fold does here over the next few weeks to try and make it just a little bit better. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. Again, folks, a reminder, sportspodcastgroup.com. Head on over there. Vote for Hit and Season for Best Baseball Podcast of 2023. Go over to our Hit and Season Patreon. You can uh, catch some bonus podcasts there, including Absolutely Hammered with Justin and Chris, uh, the um, uh, the Dirty Inning with Justin and, and Dr. Trevor Strunk. That's patreon.com slash hit and season. And of course, you can read all of our work at The Good Fight. That's where you can find some of my writing as well as billypen.com slash hit and season. Thanks to our good pals over at Billy Penn and WHYY. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hit and Season.